Hey guys, good morning. It's good to see you. Glad you guys are here. If you're a first-time guest with us or we just haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Jimmy. I'm the lead pastor here at Rocky River. And uh, whether you're a first-time guest, long-time member, or somewhere in between, uh, welcome. We're just glad that you guys are here. Um, if you haven't already, find your message notes, your connection card, and your offering envelope. Those are all in the worship bulletin you should have received when you came in this morning. Take those out. Uh, we're going to use all of those in today's message. So in high school, uh, I played basketball on the basketball team, actually. I know that when some of you look at me, you're not like, oh. Of course you played basketball. I can tell by the height and that sort of thing that you played basketball. No, you're, you're not thinking that at all. Um, but I, I did. Uh, I also ran cross country, and I'm sure that when you look at me, you don't think, wow, long-distance runner. Of course he is. I mean, I can, I can see that for sure. But um, I was on the cross country team. Now, on, on the basketball team, I didn't play. Not much. Uh, they would usually put me in when, um, when the team was either way ahead, you know, and I think the idea was that, well, I don't think he can do any damage, so let's put him in. Or, um, and that didn't happen very often because when I played basketball my junior and senior year, we were, uh, uh, we were conference champions and some things like that. So um, I used to also say that... Um, you know, if we were way behind, they would put me in then thinking, well, I guess we only have one shot. Get Britt out there. He's the only one that can save us. But no, that's not really it either. Um, and I have to tell you, though, uh, sitting on the bench was not an easy thing for me to do. I was a uh, coach of our, or, I mean, uh, the captain of our baseball team and the defensive captain of our soccer team. And to, to sit on the bench was just not easy for me. I mean, I had to make some mental adjustments. And here, here's what I decided one day. It was during the game, maybe third game into my senior year. And I knew the senior year was going to go a lot like the junior year. I'm not going to play a whole lot. But I made the decision that I was going to be the best cheerleader on our team. Now, before you start thinking that I joined the cheerleading squad, I, I didn't. But um, I was a cheerleader from the bench. I sat about three players down from uh, our assistant coach. And I had a white towel. You know, there are always towels on the sidelines. And I just grabbed a towel and I would... Without even think about it, you know, I would use that towel like it was a growl towel at the Panthers game or whatever. I mean, I, I would use that thing. And, again, not, not really thinking so much about it. But when the team, you know, was coming off the floor, end of the quarter, timeout or whatever, I would meet them there. You know, I was doing the high fives and, you know, that sort of thing. And just doing everything that I could to encourage them. Well, at the end of uh, my senior year, we had the sports banquet. And they were giving out awards and uh, just to drop something in good about me, because I don't get to say this every day, um, I was the best all around. Um, you can say, ooh, wow, that's awesome. No, best all around for being, uh, since you guys asked, and somebody's giving me a hard time over here, no, that's for, that's for being captain of the baseball team and defensive captain of the soccer team and just being a leader. That's what the best all around was for, Mac. 
That was you, wasn't it? I thought for a minute it was Wendy, but that was you. Uh, and so, you know, that was cool. But then they, they added an award that year. And they called me up on stage, and I thought, oh, no, what in the world are they going to do? And they gave me a towel, a white towel, and all the coaches and all the, the team members signed that towel. And the whole team thanked me for being an encourager. And, uh, you know, I haven't gotten a whole lot of, of awards in my life, but that is something I hang on to to this day. I, I know right where it's at. I can go find it if I want to look at it. It just meant so much to me. Um, today, and in this series that we're in right now, we're in week number two of a three-part series. It's really a seven-part series, but this first part of the series is a three-part series. It's called Vision 2020. I want to be a cheerleader I, I want, of sorts. I, I want to be an encourager. And, and let me tell you where I'm going with this and, and why this matters. I doubt that many of us in this room are living up to our full God-given redemptive potential. I'm not, and I doubt many of us are. But I want to, I want to live out my full redemptive potential in this life. Everything, which that's just a fancy way of saying, I want to be everything God's created me to be. And I want that for you. And I want it for you as much as I want it for me. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. You know, we're, what, three weeks or so into a brand new year. But not only a brand new year, a brand new decade. I want this to be the best year and the best decade of my life. I want it to be the best year and decade of your life. I want it to be the best year and decade for our whole church. I want us to all live up to our full redemptive potential. Now, I'm no Tony Robbins. But I'm going to do my best, not, not to motivate you with some self-help type things, but with biblical principles that challenge us to be everything God created us to be. So this is part two of a three-part message that's called, What I Need to Succeed. What I Need to succeed. And before we get too far into this, I want us to look at our memory verse, not only for today, but for the whole series. It's Proverbs 27, 12, and it says, The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. It's quite a verse, isn't it? The, the prudent, that, that's people who look ahead to the future. That's people who, who are not, not just thinking about the here and now. See, I don't want you to just think only about today or even this year. I want you to think about the next 10 years, this next decade. The, the prudent are people who look ahead and they see danger. They, they see what's coming. And when there's danger, they have enough wisdom to take refuge. But the simple, which is just a reference to those who are not prudent, those who just do life day after day after day, basically living the same day every day, the same week every week, the same year every year. And so they don't see what's coming. They don't prepare for the future. 
and they pay the penalty. They have to live with the consequences of not looking ahead. I've written a little prayer around this, and I want to pray it over us right now. I'm going to pray it over us, you know, every week in this series. And it just goes something like this. Let's, let's bow. God, help us to see danger ahead in our lives. Help us to see what's coming. Give us vision, foresight, even insight into to what's coming. I'm not asking you to make us all prophets, but just to be able to look ahead, to think about, okay, what, what happens next year? Or, or think ahead toward retirement or planning ahead, those sorts of things. Help us to have vision to see ahead. Give us the wisdom to know what to do in the situations we face, whether it's good or bad. Help us to face it with the right wisdom. I would say wisdom that comes from you, that comes from your word. And then, Lord, give us the courage to do the right thing. So help us to see danger ahead in our lives. Give us wisdom to know what to do and the courage to do the right thing. Lord, all, all of this in, in our attempt to live out and live up to the full redemptive potential you've created in each one of us. We pray in Jesus' great name, amen. So in the first part of this series, we're looking at one chapter in the Bible, Genesis 24, and we're talking about one story in particular. Now, I want to just sort of give you a little bit of context for the story. And we're not unpacking everything here. It's just, it's a long chapter and there's just so much to say about it. So we're, we're pulling out the highlights. But Abraham, and I'm, I'm going to even say more about Abraham and, and just, well, I'll, I'll come back to that. Abraham... Say Abraham. Abraham has been given a promise from God. He, he gets this promise in Genesis 17. The promise is that he is going to be the father of a great nation. Now, actually what happens is he becomes the father of two great nations. He becomes the father of the Arabs through his son Ishmael. And he becomes the father of the Jewish people through his son Isaac. But through his son Isaac and his children and grandchildren there, God said, I'm going to increase your family to such a great size that it'll grow into a great nation. And through that great nation, it will one day bless the whole world. Now, has that happened? It's happened. That actually is fulfilled in the Gospels with the birth of Jesus. Jesus is one of Abraham's great, 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 however many greats grandson and through Jesus the whole world has been opened up to the salvation that God offers through him there's a problem when you get to Genesis 24 and there are lots of years that pass between Genesis 17 and Genesis 24 it's not like Genesis 17 happens one day the next day Genesis 18 the next day Genesis 19 there are lots of years there are decades in here Abraham is very old. He's 140. By the way, he dies when he's 175. Um, his son Isaac is now 40 because 
Isaac was born to Abraham and Sarah when Abraham was 100 years old. Think about that. Mm. I couldn't handle it at half that age. But he has Isaac when he's 100. Now Isaac's 40, but no wife, which means no grandkids. What does that tell you? It, it means that the promise that God has made to Abraham that is for the whole world is in jeopardy. And so Abraham calls in his head servant, Eleazar. We're just going to call him Eli today. He calls in Eli and sends him to the land that Abraham came from, his homeland. He's living in Canaan. That's not where he's from. He's from the land of Ur, which would be Kuwait, Iran, Iraq, Syria, that part of the world today. So he sends him there to find a wife for Isaac. And in this chapter, I think at least five times the word success is used. Genesis 24 is kind of like the classic chapter in talking about how to have success when you're chasing down a godly vision or godly dreams. Now, last week, and I'm not going to rehash last week's message. You can go and listen to it if you want to on our podcast. But in last week's message, I gave you three principles to remember whenever you're thinking through God's vision for your life. And here they are. The first one is be specific about your vision. Or, or your goals, whatever it is you're going to do, whatever it is that you feel like God has put in your life to do, be specific about it. Don't be vague, in other words, because vague goals, vague plans, they never get done. They get talked about, but they never get done. Be specific. Number two, the second principle, we talked about knowing why your vision matters. Abraham knew. Abraham knew that the vision that God had given him to find this wife for his son was not only for, for Abraham and Isaac and not even just for their immediate family. It wasn't even just about Abraham's grandkids. And we don't know how many generations Abraham was thinking ahead, but I'll guarantee you he wasn't thinking that in the year 2020, there will be a group of people sitting around reading his story in Cabarrus County in Concord, North Carolina, in the United States, in North America, reading all about him. He wasn't thinking about us, but he was thinking generations ahead. And he knew that if Isaac didn't have a wife, there wasn't going to be any grandkids. If there are no grandkids, then the promise, the link, stops with him. So he knew why it mattered. You need to know why your vision matters. You need to know why your goals matter. Let me tell you why. If you don't know why you're doing what you're doing, whenever you start facing opposition, and you will face opposition if you're doing anything worthwhile, when the opposition hits, you will quit. The what you're supposed to be, the what of your vision, it ain't enough. You need to know why it matters. You, you need to know what happens if you don't do it. You know, this is Martin Luther King Jr. Um, weekend. Monday is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. I'm right about that, aren't I? I'm not always right with the calendar. Um, Martin Luther King Jr., 
knew why what he was doing mattered. He was concerned and others around him were concerned for months, if not a couple of years, that he was going to get killed, be assassinated before he was actually assassinated. And yet he's at places like the Lincoln Memorial in D.C. There's security around him, but not enough to really protect him. So why is he going out there and giving those speeches? Why is he putting himself in jeopardy the way he was? Because he knew why the cause mattered. He knew what was on the line. He knew who was on the line. And he didn't know how this would unfold. He just had a vision, a dream. I have a dream. He had a dream that what was not but could be and should be would happen. And he was willing to die for it. And indeed he did. He was willing to die for it because he knew why it mattered. You better know why you're doing what you're doing. Because if you don't, when times get tough, it'll overcome you. And then number three, don't worry about the how until you know the what and the why of your vision and goals. What I mean by that is, and we're going to look at this, um, this passage of Scripture this, this morning, these specific verses. Eli, after he hears the mission, after he gets the goal from Abraham to go and find a wife for his son Isaac, he asks the what if questions. But what do I do if this happens? But what if that happens? What happens when these obstacles come up? So listen, you need to know what you're going to do and why doing it matters before other people start asking the how questions. Well, how are you going to do that? Are you going to go to nursing school? Well, how are you going to do that? How are you going to pay for this? You have two kids. You don't have a husband. How are you going to nursing school? How are you going to start that business? You have no money. You have no this. How are you going to just stop everything and go back to college? You see what I mean? And so before you know it, somebody's asked so many what if questions or so many how are you going to do this questions that you can't answer. A lot of us never even get started. So those are principles to remember whenever you're trying to make a dream, a vision that God's given you a reality. So today, let me give you three critical next steps. If you're taking notes, write these down. If you're not taking notes, write these down. Here's step number one. Stop putting off your future. Stop putting off your future. Say it with me. Stop putting off your future. Again, stop putting off your future. Story begins in verse 1 by saying, Abraham was now very old and the Lord had blessed him in every way. So I've already told you that Abraham was 140 in this passage of Scripture, this time in his life, 140. So Isaac is 40. All right. A critical part of the promise that God has given to Abraham 
is that Isaac have a wife and kids? You understand, right? You can't have a big family if your one and only son, at least the one that the promise is with, if that son doesn't have a wife and there are no kids, right? Biologically, you see the obstacle here, right? Right? Because that's like half the room that said that. The other half, you guys need to know the biology here. I'm not going to tell you. You can Google it. No, don't Google it. Lord, I'm mercy. <laughs> Never mind. The question I want to ask, and there's no answer to it, at least we're not given one here in Scripture, is what's Abraham been waiting on? When the passage opens up, and if you'll read the whole chapter, the whole story, you, you'll see that, you know, there's some tension here. It's like Abraham wakes up one day at 140 and says, oh, no, I'm not 100 anymore. I'm running out of time here. This has got to happen. And we just don't know. We don't know what it was that finally made him go, okay, let's, let's get after this. We need to get Isaac a wife so that this promise of our future continues. And listen, that is what's at stake. Abraham's future, Isaac's future, the future of the people of Israel. There would be no people of Israel if Isaac didn't have a wife and they started having children. This is literally the future, Abraham's future, our future that's at stake. So what's he been waiting on? Why didn't he start looking for a wife for Isaac when Isaac was in his 20s, and Abraham was in his 120s, or when he was in his 130s. What is it about the 140s? Well, again, we don't know. We just know he's been waiting. And as he's waiting, he's putting off his future. My question for you is, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting on? What are you putting ahead of your future? Because whatever it is, I want to challenge you right now to stop putting off your future. Whatever you're going to do with your life, you better get after it. You better start doing it. And by the way, don't feel like because now that you're not 20 anymore, now you're 30 or 40 or 50, don't think, well, I, I just shouldn't have a vision for my life. Because here's Abraham, 140. So at least until you're 140, you have no excuses for not having a vision. You're not here just to take up space and waste time. There is more to life, thank God, than social media. And watching someone else live their life while you just waste more of yours. What are you waiting for? Stop putting off your future. How many of you take naps on Sunday afternoon? Just a show of hands. A lot of us, yeah. Well, I have to be honest with you. Uh, I don't take a lot of naps on Sunday. I'm not much on being able to take a nap during the day 
And uh, usually when I leave here, now it was different when we had three services because I was usually tired after the third one somewhat. But with only two services, like my mind just engages. It's like when you go to sleep and you get into that deep nocturnal sleep, well, the reverse of it happens with my adrenaline. Man, it just starts pumping and my mind is working. That's most Sundays. But last Sunday when we got home, I was, I was tired. And uh, we were a little late getting home. And I just told Karen, I'm just going to sit back and chill out for a little while until the ball game comes on or, or whatever. And about the time I got my eyes closed, my cell phone rang. I looked down at it, and it was one of my best friends growing up. And we, we still stay pretty connected, but we don't necessarily talk every week. But when we do catch up, you know how it is with really good friends. When you see each other, you just pick right back up where you left off. And um, Anyway, just a great friend. But it's, it's him calling. Karen said, Who, who's that? I said, it's, it's Stephen. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to answer it. I'm going to let it go to voicemail. Because when Stephen calls, it's to catch up. Not for a few minutes. We could be on that phone like, I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour. And I just, I didn't want to do that. So I said, well, I'll, I'll call him back later. And then our cable is connected to our phone. So when our home phone rings, it pops up on the TV screen. So about the time the, my cell phone stopped ringing, our house phone started to ring, and I saw Stephen's brother's name, Derek, pop up on the TV screen. Now it alarmed me because uh, his, Stephen and Derek's parents are not in great health and their mom has some heart problems, and so my heart just sank. I told Karen, I said, I'm, I'm worried this is about one of their parents. So I took took phone, went back in our bedroom, and called Stephen back. And uh, he said, man, I have some bad news. And I was prepared for him to tell me that one of his parents had passed away. I was not prepared for him to tell me that one of our great friends when we were growing up, probably I mean, through our teen years and really even beyond, uh, had passed away. 52. Good looking guy, healthy guy, so accomplished, done so many things. Uh, two kids, little grandson. Uh, the, the kind of the kind of guy, not just as an adult, but as a kid, you, you wanted to be his friend. And when you were his friend, you were glad you, you were his friend. Um, he could do everything better than you could. And it didn't matter what it was. And, and he wasn't braggadocious about it. But if it was riding a bike, he could ride it better than you. If it was popping wheelies, if you could ride one from this mailbox to that mailbox, he could ride one to four mailboxes down. He was just, he was just like that. Um, if you could shoot out one neighbor's window with a BB gun, he could shoot out four. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's a different story. <laughs> it's a good story, though, but I'll tell you later. And, and Jimmy did a lot with his life. But whatever he was going to do with his life, if it wasn't done before sometime Sunday morning between 4 a.m. and 8 a.m., it's just not going to get done. 
I remember thinking that at his, at his burial service. Whatever he didn't do, it's not going to get done. Let me tell you why you need to stop putting off your future. Number one, it's, it's always harder and it always takes longer to do something than you think it will. Like if you've ever had your house or any part of your house remodeled, you get an estimate for that what it's going to cost, but something always comes up, doesn't it? And so it ends up costing you more. And then depending on the weather and, you know, other things and schedules, other things pop up, and it almost always takes longer than you thought it would. Well, the same thing is true with accomplishing a vision or reaching a goal. It always takes more energy or more effort or more resources than you thought it would, and it always takes a little bit longer. The second reason to stop putting off your future is because you're not getting any younger. Doesn't mean you're old. You might be. But it doesn't mean you're old, but you're not getting any younger. Whether you're 20 or 80, you're not getting any younger. And then number three, you don't know how many more days you have left. Jimmy didn't. I don't. You don't know. So stop putting off your future. And remember what's at stake. It's likely not only your future. Because for Abraham, it wasn't just about his future, was it? It was about Isaac. It was about his whole family. It was about generations of people that he, he would never even meet. So stop putting off the future. Step number two, find a promise from God's word. Say that with me. Find a promise from God's word. In other words, you need to find a promise in the Bible where God says, I'm going to help you with this vision. I'm going to help you accomplish this goal. Did you know that there are more than 7,000 promises in the Bible? More than 7,000. And these promises are where God says, if you'll do this, I'll do that. More than 7,000. There are promises for things like security, for safety, stability, strength, success. Promises for provision and God's wisdom. And it goes on and on and on and on. The Bible's full of promises. And do you know why? Not because they make nice Facebook memes. And not just so that there'll be a little bit of encouraging now, maybe even encouraging enough to help you get started, but they're in the Bible to help us see things through. God gives us these promises so that we will learn how to trust him. And let me tell you something. Abraham didn't just start learning how to trust God in Genesis 24. He's been trusting God for decades by the time we get to Genesis 24. And here's what he's learned. He's learned over time that God is a God who's faithful, that he's strong, that he can do the impossible, that God can make things happen supernaturally, that 
He can see what you can't see. He knows what the obstacles are before he ever leads you in a direction. And you learn to trust him. So in this story, Eli says, okay, Abraham, I'm going to go do this. I see the mission. I also see a potential problem here. And you and I, if we're being honest, we can see the problem too. What if he gets there and the woman won't come back with him? Now, it's going to be hard to find the woman because they don't have a name. They don't have an address. They have a general idea of the area. This is not going to even be like finding a needle in a haystack. This is going to be like trying to find straw in a haystack. And so he asks a question, and I think all of us would want to ask, and that is, okay, when I find her, because I believe I will, but what if she won't come back with me? What if she says, there's no way I'm doing this? I haven't seen this guy. Is he ugly? I'm 17, he's 40, or I'm just not doing it. Then do I revise the plan? Do I come back and get Isaac and then take him back? And he says, absolutely not. And he says in verse 7, Genesis 24, verse 7, he says, the Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household. Let me tell you something. This is testimony. This is not just a part of an introduction. This is not just some nice things to say in a prayer. This is his testimony. He says, let me tell you something about my God. The very same God that I've been following for decades, the same God who told me to leave my father's house, didn't give me an address, didn't give me coordinates. He just said, you go. And when you get to where I want you to be, I'll tell you to stop. The God who gave me and my wife a baby when we thought having babies was impossible. The God who has provided a land for us to live in, new flocks, new herds, new homes, all these servants, everything we have, that same God who spoke to me and promised me an oath. In other words, he gave me his word. To your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son there. Not here, there. The problems that Eli was able to bring up didn't phase him. They didn't phase him because over the years, Abraham has held on to God's promises and holding on to these promises has taught him that he can trust God. And so can you. So can you. No matter what the what-ifs are, you can trust God. No matter what the obstacles might be, you can trust God. No matter how little you have and how much you need, you can trust God. He was confident that God would do what he promised to do because God had been faithful he believed God could do what Abraham and Eli could not do. He believed that God could do the impossible even if he had to send an angel there ahead of time and pick the girl out. He believed that God could get it done. So let me give you some promises. I'm not going to give you 7,000 of them. 
I'm going to give you 6,500. No, I'm going to give you two. That enough? It'll get you started. Whenever you feel like And, and let me tell you this, when you are going after something that God has given you to go after, there are going to be obstacles. There are going to be enemies. And so whenever you're going after it, whenever you decide you're going to stop putting off your faith or your, your future and you're going to go after this thing, you're going to have enemies. And whenever you're facing an obstacle or facing an em- enemy that's bigger than you and you're just ready to quit Remember Exodus 14, 14, which says, The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Oh, Jimmy, that's so nice. It's more than nice. God did not give Moses that verse when everything was going up and to the right on the chart sheets. God gave That word to Moses, when Moses and the children of Israel were fleeing the Egyptians after the Pharaoh had released them from 400 plus years of Egyptian slavery and changed his mind. And now Pharaoh is leading his army on chariots, which means once they catch up to these brick makers and goat herders, they're just going to mow them down. He goes after them and he chases these Hebrew people to a cul-de-sac in the desert. Red Sea in the front of them, desert on either side of them, Egyptians behind them. Nowhere to go. And God said, I got this. He didn't say, okay, change of plans. You start fighting. Divide up into cores. We're going we're gonna to go head to head against the Pharaoh. He just said, watch this. He parted the Red Sea. The children of Israel walked safely across on dry ground. When the Egyptians got there, they saw the same miracle, and they thought, well, it was good enough for them. It's good enough for us. When they followed that same path through the Red Sea, God closed the sea up on them and drowned them. And listen, for days, for days, on the other side of the Red Sea, the children of Israel watched as the bodies of dead Egyptian soldiers and dead horses and swamped chariots washed up on the shore. And what was their part in it? To be still and trust the God who fights for his people. Whenever you're facing an enemy, whenever you have obstacles that stand in front of you and they're big, bad, and ugly, they look like monsters. Remember what the Lord said to Isaiah in Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear for I'm with you. Do not be dismayed. Don't be blown away for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand, my strong hand, not my weak hand, my strong hand. It's God saying, I got this. 
You need a promise. And then finally, step number three, ask God for his help. Ask him for his help. By the way, if you don't need God's help, probably it's probably not his vision for your life. If you're trying to reach goals that you don't need him to reach, he probably hadn't given you that goal. Or you've set the goal too low. Eli knew what he was facing. He knew these were big challenges. How do I find the girl? Then what if she doesn't want to come back? It's going gonna, it's gonna to take a lot of energy. And so he did what his boss did. He prayed. And listen to me. Listen closely. He prayed that God would give him success. In verse 12, then he prayed, Eli prayed, Lord God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. Now realize that for some reason, for some reason, and I think it's a response to the name it and claim it age that we live in. There are many Christians today that think that poverty is godliness. Not true, and the Bible never says it. Or we, we think that we shouldn't, we just shouldn't ask God for success. We should just ask him for faithfulness. Oh, gosh, man, I hate that kind of talk. Because it's not true. <laughs> think about the reverse of that. Should you pray, God, make me a failure today? How ridiculous is that? And by the way, you don't have to pray for failure. Just keep doing nothing. You'll find it. Just keep doing nothing. But when we pray, we should ask God for success. And I want you to listen. I want you to really lean into this. Living up to your full redemptive potential. Living up to what God has created you to be. Means that you are honoring God and helping other people. God will never give you a vision or goals that are only about you. I'm just telling you that. Again, you can fight me on it. You can waste a lot of time rejecting that, but I'm telling you it's the truth. God will not make you a success so that you can walk out and beat your chest about how great you are. It's about, it's about pointing people toward God. It's about honoring him and helping other people. And so, so listen, when your success honors God and helps others, you better be praying that God will make you successful. And that's what he wants from your life, that you honor him and help others. So think about it. When you're praying for success, you're asking him to help you be what he wants you to be. And most of us are living way under our potential. And that doesn't honor God. And it doesn't help other people. 
I believe that God wants you to be successful more than you can want to be successful yourself. So ask him. Ask him for success. Be specific when you pray. If you'll go back and read Genesis 24, you'll see that Eli was very specific. In fact, there are a couple of places in the prayer where I'm like, come on, man. Are you trying to tie God's hands with handcuffs? I mean, but he was very specific. You ought to be specific when you pray. You you ought to be specific with your, your vision. Let me tell you what happens when you're not specific with your prayers. Most of us pray prayers. We wouldn't even know God answered because we pray so vague. Pray and ask God to do something that you, you know it's him. Don't be vague and don't go to him wimpish. Like, okay, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to ask for this. And Jimmy said... Not to be vague, so I'm going to be specific, but I don't really know if you want to answer this prayer or not and just make me mediocre. You don't have to make me successful. That's, that's ridiculous. The Bible says in Hebrews 14, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. A better, transla- uh, better translation for the word confidence is boldness. God wants us people to be bold. Listen, some of us are getting our butts kicked every day because we're not bold. And the reason that most of us are not bold is because we've bought into this wrong idea that we shouldn't be. We just meek and mild. Let me tell you something. Jesus was meek and mild. He also turned over tables in the temple. Be bold. prayers reveal two things about you. Number one, how serious you are about your dreams and goals. And number two, who you're really trusting in to accomplish those goals. So how's your prayer life? How's your trusting in God for something? Are you serious about your dreams and goals? Are you depending on God? I want us to wrap up this morning by praying over our dreams and goals. Uh, in the last service, uh, we prayed over Rick and Amy Hudgens and their son Dylan. Uh, two and a half years ago, Dylan was diagnosed with cancer. And it was just a whirlwind sort of thing. Um, Amy called me one afternoon and said, we've got to have Dylan at the hospital tomorrow morning in Charlotte for some tests. And um, they're concerned that he might have some cancer. And we'll see how it goes from there. Next morning, she calls me back. She said, we're on our way to St. Jude here in Charlotte. They're going to do some tests on him there. Tomorrow morning, we have to leave for St. Jude Hospital in Memphis. And 
they believed then and now that they could get his cancer in remission. So this past Thursday, Dylan had his last treatment here. They're hoping it's his last. But they left, Rick, Amy, and Dylan left after the first service to go to Memphis. And there this week he has a number of tests. They're just going to run the gamut. They, they want to, the doctors there want to look at their own set of tests to make sure that they can call his cancer remission. So we had prayer over them. That's been a goal for them for the last two and a half years. It's been an all-consuming. They've had to rearrange their whole life their, or their lives, their life as a family, but their individual lives around this, this cancer. And so hopefully Thursday night in Memphis, we're going to be able to have a party there at St. Jude. He's going to get to ring the bell and celebrate that his cancer is in remission. But we prayed over them. I want to I pray for them again in this service. But I want to pray over your goals and your dreams, the things that God has laid on your heart, the things that he's put in front of you to do right now. And hey, listen, I, I know that when you think about a family that, have a, that has a son that's been dealing with cancer, you think, man, you know, my goal to lose 50 pounds doesn't seem to be as big. It matters. my goal to fix my marriage or whatever it might be. It might not seem like as big a deal, but it is a big deal and it's important to God. So I want to pray over the Hudgens. I want to pray over your God-given dreams, your visions, the things that God has given you to do. And to do that, I want us to stand together. And then once you're standing, if you'll just bow your head and close your eyes. Heavenly Father, once again today we pray for the Hudgens. I know there have been many prayers prayed for them over the last two and a half plus years. And there will be many more. But we lift them up, Lord. We ask that you give them traveling mercies there and back. We pray for all the testing, everything that goes into something like this. And they're going to be tired and... We pray for their strength and the resources there and back. And Lord, thank you for St. Jude. Thank you for not only the the medicine that is St. Jude, but the ministry. Thank you for how they've taken care of the Hudgens and many, 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 many other families. And this week we pray that you would guide the doctors and caretakers as they look at test results and look at pictures and all the things that go into making a diagnosis like this. And Lord, even if they come back and say, you know, we need to do some more treatment, it's going to take another couple weeks or a few months or whatever, we, we already believe that you have a promise of life and health over Dylan, so we just continue to claim that we're, we'll trust you no matter what. But but we pray for that healing. We we pray for that remission. 
And we thank you that they haven't given up on this goal. And then, Lord, there are other important goals and visions represented in this room. Some of them haven't been fleshed out. Some of them haven't been clarified. Some of them haven't been thought through. There's not a promise attached to it yet. And I pray, Lord, that we would take intentional steps. Even if we don't know what the next four steps are going to be, just give us the next step and then the courage to take it. And, and Lord, I pray that you're doing things, and I believe that you are, that you're giving dreams and goals and visions to people that will change generations. The goal to break a family cycle of abuse, drug abuse or alcoholism, a cycle of unfaithfulness, ignorance, whatever it may be, spiritual lostness. And, and Lord, maybe our stories are not told like Abraham's one day, but Lord, nonetheless, let there be story because there's impact and not because we're great, but because you are. And that we've done things with pure motives that are to honor you and help others. And always, 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 we put our hope in you. Jesus, we pray in your great name. Amen.
dismissed.